Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 76 is an interview with Dave Alley. Dave is a father of five, husband, police officer of 17 plus years in both New South Wales and Queensland in various specialist fields, and operational skills and tactics instructor, ultra endurance athlete, three times world record holder, multiple Australian record holder, level two recreational run coach, philanthropist, business owner of Alley Health and Fitness Australia, author of Head wind and brand ambassador. It was deemed the impossible dream to not only both cycle and run around Australia but to do both in world record time was laughable. So Dave decided to achieve that. In 2011, Dave rewrote the history books by becoming the fastest person to cycle around Australia supported, completing the 14,251 kilometre journey in an incredible 37 days, 20 hours and 45 minutes, averaging a staggering 377 kilometres per day, cycling on average 15 plus hours per day, beating the former Canadian record holder by over three days. Having completed this, Dave set about planning and executing the double by attempting to break the 16-year-old record to run around Australia, which had been held by legendary Australian ultra-runner, multiple record holder and former federal politician Pat Farmer. To do this, Dave had to complete the set benchmark of 13,383 kilometres in less than 174 days at an average of 76.91 kilometres per day, almost two marathons each and every day, no rest days. Just wrap your head around that one. Not only did Dave complete the double in 2015, but he smashed the record set by Pat by over four days, completing the run of 13,383 kilometres in 169 days, 15 hours, 31 minutes, at an average of 78.89 kilometres per day. Dave then continued his journey and ran back to where it all started at Lismore, New South Wales, completing a total of 13,791.27 kilometres in 175 days, four hours and 49 minutes at an average of 78.72 kilometres per day. And along the way, managed to break the world record to run 10,000 kilometres, doing so in 127 days, 10 hours, 51 minutes at an average of 78.46 kilometres per day. Along with his adventures, Dave has raised six-figure sums for charity and has currently raised in excess of $500,000 in total. Thank you to all those people who've gone on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review and subscribe. Your effort is greatly appreciated and helps the podcast grow. With things tracking well around Australia, more races are being planned. If you are upping your training but are plagued by niggles and injuries, head to the specialists at Health and High Performance where they will utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you run your best and achieve your potential. So head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run or find them on Instagram, Health High Performance. I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited about all the races in the future. To be ready for them, you need to be working on getting stronger, fitter and faster now. You can do this with a structured and well-planned training program with Peak Endurance Coaching. Email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and let's get your training moving in the right direction. Enjoy the interview with Dave. Hi, Dave, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Thanks, Isabel, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. No worries. Now, can you tell the listeners, um, some of them, maybe the very few who haven't heard of you, um, a bit about your athletic background and how you got into endurance exercise? Well, I guess for me, um, how I really got into the endurance game was um, my twins were born prematurely. Um, and I was looking for a challenge myself at the time as well. And uh, had no endurance background whatsoever. So 
I was the kid that came last in the school cross country. <laughs> um, I know the feeling. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to challenge and I wanted to challenge myself, but also as a thank you and to give something back to the hospital for the tremendous support that they'd shown myself, the, the uh, family and the twins during that difficult time. And uh, I thought, what's the toughest one day endurance challenge there is? And uh, I thought it's got to be an Ironman triathlon. And uh, so with that in mind, I went down to the local pool and uh, swam a lap and almost drowned. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I didn't own a bike. And uh, I got out of the, uh, the lane at the end of the pool and thought, you've got a long way to go, mate, if you want to make this a reality. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess from there, um, that's where the seed was planted for me. So um, I got a coach and I started on that path to, to completing an Ironman, um, which I did. Um, I which Ironman enough. was it? Uh, I did Ironman Port Macquarie, uh, Ironman Australia, yep. uh, back in 08, that oh, was. Nice. Yep. Uh, so I completed that and I guess I finished and got across the finish line and for me, um, I guess I worked a little bit in reverse and that I found the event easier as I went along. Yeah. And um, Spoken uh, like a true endurance athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess I finished. And, and when, look, when I got across the finish line, I remember my family saying to me that night that I had that look in my eye that I had unfinished business. And uh, I think I did. And I was really, I guess, bitten by the bug from there and the whole endurance community and... and uh, everything else that goes with it. So from there, um, my best mate and the manager of our, of our trips, David Lees and I, had always said we do something big before we turn 40. And uh, time was ticking away. <laughs> and we're both at a time in our life where um, we just needed a break from our current careers. So mining policing, he's a school principal. And we're looking for that something else, that, that challenge ourselves. And uh, that's where the idea of the bike ride came from and then sub subsequently the run. And uh, So we went you from went there. from not owning a bicycle to cycling around Australia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for me, <laughs> for me too, it was that, that challenge of um, a lot of people saying, you know, you, you don't even own a bike. You have no mm. cycling background. Um, it can't be done. So there was that challenge as well, I think, as well too, and taking on that mentality to take on an event such as that and, and achieve it yeah no well that's that's awesome um and uh so how many so you cycled around australia and and how long did that take you so that took uh that was in 2011 uh, right. it was 37 days 20 hours and 45 minutes so it was an average <laughs> <Wow>. of um <laughs> 377 kilometers a day uh, wow. on average so Which that's within, yeah, sorry, that's three years that you learned how to ride that much. Yeah, yeah. So it was a real gradual progression. So I guess, yeah. um, as you know, in that endurance background, it was so important to prepare not only myself mentally, um, but physically to build my yeah. body up to a point where I could take something on of that magnitude was a three-year process. Yeah. Well, I, th I was thinking that was quite quick, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I had the same um, issue again when I got off the bike and the idea came very quickly to run around Australia. Uh, it was a very similar process in that my body had completely adapted to cycling and that mm. was it. Um, so to get, jump off the bike and not cycle and then adapt to build up to running those sort of distances each day was, was another challenge within itself. So you sort of dropped the cycling after that and went straight into the running, did you? 
Yeah, so it was never the plan. Um, mm. The plan even was never to go for a record or uh, it was just to do to have the experience and, and try and get around the lap of Australia on the bike initially was the target. Um, but from that, with my training, things were progressing really well. And look, we came together and decided, let's find out if there's a record for such a thing. Uh, and I guess with the cycle, um, the carrot was dangled for me. There was no Australians in the top five. It was oh, a Canadian. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then four Europeans in the top five. So we thought... <laughs> I find that really strange. Like, why were there so many non-Australians? Yeah, it's, it is peculiar. And, and we thought the same thing at the time. And um, I guess it became a wish of mine, really, to get that uh, title mm. back to an Australian. Yeah, good one. Well done. And so, and so you made the decision to run around Australia. So how, how long did the organisation and the training for all of that take? I mean... You had done some running, so you weren't starting from scratch, I suppose. But how long did that process in itself take? Yeah, the, both both events really were such a huge logistical exercise mm. as, as well as physically and mentally. So I had a, a whole support team behind me, which without them it wouldn't have been possible. Um, it was as simple as that because it was really, um, in terms of preparation, it was another full-time job. I bet. Um, really in terms of, of preparation and gaining permits and how exactly we were going to go about this with support vehicles and, and all the logistics that go with it. So it was really, um, while I was preparing myself in the background, I had a team of people pre preparing the logistical side of things. So it was a three to four year process as well, mm. um, just to get to the starting line. Do you think your um, background in policing helped you go through that process of having a that sort of logistics in it? I do. Um, I think it helps physically as well too. I think um, coming from a shift work background mm. um, and I'd also been in various um, specialist fields and trained within the police as well and I think that um, had, a, had a big impact on, on preparation and also that mindset and determination yeah. and and facing, you know, there's so many hardships and setbacks that we encountered even before day one, just to get to the starting line. So I think absolutely it did help. Yeah. And um, so we, in regards to getting permits, so, so did you have to get permits from like each state um, to run on the roads? How did that all work? Yeah, so you're right. We had to get permits from each state. And of course, um, each state has its own rules and regulations and application process, which, which all took time. Um, so that was a real um, logistical exercise in itself, just to get those permits in time before we left. And things that I guess um, that are often, you go without thinking is, is um, the weather, which way do you run? Yeah. Um, all of those things, timing it for a window. Obviously, um, we had to escape the heat and the summer of the top end and also the wet season up there. So we had to plan and make sure we were through that section um, during winter. Um, and then all the unknowns as well too with traffic and um, just so many yeah, variables that, that come into it. So yeah, logistics was, was tough. And as I said, each state had its own um, conditions and rules and regulations, which we had to adhere to. So it was a, a big challenge. Yeah, I bet, I bet that was almost as hard as the run. And so um, you decide, what made you decide to go for the, the record for, for the run? 
the run, I guess, essentially followed on from the bike. So as I said, with the bike, the intent was never to go out for, for any record on the mm. bike. Um, but in our planning and preparation, um, a friend suggested we get to see if a university would come on board. So we did that and um, University of Queensland came on board and did some physical testing. Um, and it was suggested by a guy there, Vince Kelly, the head of sports science, that your numbers have come back um, really high and perhaps mm. you should look at whether there's a record possible for this. So yeah. that's what happened. And the manager of the trip went away and did some research and came back to me and said, you know, what, what do you think? I have the, the numbers here. Um, and I said, look, if you could ride 200 kilometres a day over 14,000 kilometres, I don't think anything's possible beyond that. And uh, he laughed and said, uh, a Canadian by the name of Perry Stone has the record. He did it in 41 days and five minutes and he averaged 340 kilometres a day. <laughs> and uh, we laughed. And that was our initial reaction. We laughed and then I went away and thought about it. And I contacted Perry, who was very generous with his time. And oh, said, how did you actually go about this? And he planted the seed and said, well, I rode at 25 kilometres an hour on average. And I thought, you know, your average recreational cyclist can do that. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I can't do that for 16 hours a day like he did. But maybe I could do that for an hour. And then I just built up from there and came up with a training plan, got a great coach, and we just chipped away at it. And... Um, we then did a trial when I was read, felt ready. We did a trial lap around Queensland just to see how I would go. And we took a crew with me and um, we came back ahead of, of the record pace. And I guess it was from that point um, we really believed that this was possible. Yeah. And then having had that cycling record and moving on to the run, I guess the run was different in that it, it was decided from day one that we would go for the record. So um, we found out... Um, that that was held by Pat Farmer uh, yeah. and what Pat had done. And it was 18 years old, the record. And again, I had that determination in that a lot of people said it can't be done. You can't go from cycling with that background into running. Um, it's physically impossible. Um, yeah. But I just surrounded myself by a team of people that believed in me and, and we got the job done. I, th I think a great motivator is for someone to say something can't be done, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just made sure I surrounded myself around people that were positive and did believe. And uh, yeah. that was the best thing that I found I did. Um, mm. and, and it really helped me. Yeah, that was uh, one of my questions. So who was your crew? How did you choose them? And, and when I'm talking about the crew, I'm talking about the people who came in the road with you, but also the people who were handling the logistics, probably still in the background while you were out there. Um, you know, and how did how did you work with them and, and how did that all go down? Yes, it happened, I guess, piece by piece, but a lot of the run was people that followed on and, and medical specialists that had followed on from the cycle. So I was oh, very okay. lucky in that regard that a lot of the team stayed on and worked with yeah. me for the run. Um, but I had a, a big team. I had um, a team. I had a sports psychologist. Oh, wow. Um, had a musculoskeletal therapist. I had... Um, sports dietitians, um, a whole group of people that worked with me um, really day-to-day -day in the build-up. And then with the crew, we had at any given time, we had at least five crew. Um, and we also had uh, two support vehicles on the run. So ah. I always had a vehicle that would bunny hop ahead around the sort of seven to eight kilometres. 
at a yep. time and they had my um, nutrition and hydration with them. Um, and then we had a, a vehicle and a, and a caravan, which was my home base for six months. And that would go ahead sort of anywhere between 30 and 40 kilometres at a time. Um, and I would catch up with the van, get my nutrition, hydration, move on to the next point. And we just got through the day like that. And we also had to ensure that we had at least two people, sorry, in each vehicle for safety reasons yeah. and just to rotate drivers. Mm. Um, there was a big safety aspect to it, I guess, risk management portfolio that comes with, with a, an event of that nature as well. So, yeah, minimum of five crew at any one time and, and everyone was busy. There was someone awake um, preparing or planning something 24 hours a day. I, I can imagine. Now, these people, um, obviously, they've got to be with you for six months as well. Like, financially, like, did, did they volunteer their time? Did you get sponsors? How did you uh, make it financial? Yeah, it was a combination of both. So um, with the run, um, I guess comparing with the cycle, the cycle was all over and done with with six weeks. So okay. we had the same crew um, stayed with me for that for that duration. But as you're saying, over a six month period, it's such a huge commitment mm. um, for those that form part of the crew. So how we did that was um, three of us. So there was myself, manager, and a logistics manager that stayed with us the whole the whole time. And uh, then we had crew come in and out at different points. So I had a dietitian coming out at different points, a chiropractor, yeah. um, physio, et cetera, that came in and out at different points um, throughout the trip. And they just generously gave of their time for, that, for what they could. Um, and we pieced it together like that. We had people then, of course, flying into different capital cities that had to be collected from airports whilst I was still running. And yeah. There's all those things going on in the background. Um, and it was just managed so well um, by Dave Lees, um, who took care of that. So my sole focus was really just running and covering the kilometres each day. And so how many kilometres were you doing each day? So I averaged uh, 80, 80 kilometres a day, um, over 175 days. Mm. So like, it was part of the rules that I had to run a minimum of 20 kilometres a day for it to be counted as a continuous run. Oh, okay. Um, so each and every day had to be a minimum of, of 20 kilometres, but the clock was always ticking. So there was always that element of pressure that we had to cover the kilometres. But um, and, and obviously, and in keeping with the rules, no rest days as well. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. Um, and, and how long did doing that 80 kilometres take each day around a bike? Yeah, it was a good... 10 to 12 hours a day at least. Mm, so yeah, um, it's surprising in an event such as this, there's a lot of walking as well. Yeah. So, and it's a real strategy game. So we made it a general rule from the start that I wouldn't run up a hill around the country. Yeah, good. Mm. So I walked the hills, we planned it out. And I guess because we weren't um, on a timeline as such, we were, but we weren't. So I had to get through my kilometres each day. But if I finished at 6pm or whether I finished at midnight, it didn't really matter as long yeah. as I got through those kilometres. So it varied. We played it day to day, depending on the weather and the traffic. But um, after a while, what I would often do is get to lunchtime and I'd have a sleep for an hour oh, um, and then get up and complete the, the kilometres later in the day. Yeah. Um, and also up in the top end in the Northern Territory where it was quite hot during that mid-afternoon is I would rest during that period and then come out. And I found 
myself. I'm a bit of a night owl. So I found I performed better once the sun started to go down and I would often run through into the night till nine or 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, fair enough. And um, for me, I would find it difficult, like just seeing that road stretching out in front of me. How did you deal with that mentally every day, just seeing that, that ahead of you? <laughs> it, it was tough. Yeah, yeah, it was really tough. And it was that monotonous day after day. Mm. And particularly at the start of each day, um, after about week one, I don't think there was a day for the rest of the run where I wasn't carrying some sort of injury. Um, I was that sore some days. It was about a 10-minute process just to get out of bed oh, uh, in the caravan and then just to get going. Um, you know, there was days, I remember a particular day across the Nullarbor where um, the guys were driving me to our starting point. So we started, finished from the same point but we quite often couldn't camp exactly at that location. Yeah, yeah. So we had to GPS our location and either come forward or back. And uh, on this particular day, we had a short drive back to the starting point and uh, it was minus five. Um, the wind was howling. Every muscle in my body was aching and begging me to stop. And I turned to the manager and said to Dave, it could be worse. It could be raining. And as I stepped in the oh, car, no. it started to rain. Oh, jeez. <laughs> the, those are the days that really test you and as to how much you really want this. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't think there wasn't a day that went past where I had my highs and lows. It was every single day. Um, I'd get to a point where I just want to sit down and cry and go home. Oh. And that was... That was every day at, at some oh, really? point. Um, mm. But I also had a lot of highs as well. And um, mm. I think when it's all said and done, just the whole experience and the adventure of it, I guess, and experiencing it with the people I did actually means more to me than the record. Yeah, 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 which is, which is a lot of what running is about as well. So what sort of um, injuries or niggles did you have to deal with while you were out there? <clears throat> Um, it was funny in that in the, the whole three to four year preparation for the run, uh, I did not get a blister um, and about a week into it, um, I suffered horrendously from blisters. Of course. Um, <laughs> which is always the way. Um, and then my feet um, had swollen up. So I'd grown two shoe sizes. Wow. Um, and when I started, which is something that I hadn't accounted for. So by the time I finished, I'd cut out the whole front of my shoes um, to, to just relieve that pressure from the yeah. shoe and my foot in the shoe. Um, and things, again, that um, I hadn't accounted for is particularly in the top end of Australia with the way the camber of the road is um, for the wet season. So it's, oh. it's very much raised in the centre of the road so that the, the, the storms can run off the road and the the, uh, the road trains, et cetera, can get through in the wet season. So due to that and the, the shape of the road, I was always running on an angle. So my lower back and hips really suffered. Um, so I tried to, as much as I could, run down the centre of the road. Mm. Um, and then I kind of zigzagged my way through the top end by just trying to vary that, that angle that I was running on because it was so steep. Um, and my body just wasn't accustomed to that. And, yeah, a lot of uh, lower back hip issues. Um, when I got home, um, I couldn't dress myself for six months. Oh, I seriously? Had... Yes. Yeah, so I, um, 
such a disability to my family because um, I had tightened up so much through my lower back that I just could not bend down. Um, so I couldn't put shoes and socks on and it wow. was quite a process to, to get back to normal. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, and did you have any toenails left as well? To start of interest? Uh, no, there was a funny story. Well, not funny now, but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. at the time. Um, a great mate of mine's a doctor and before I left um, and he specializes in bones and um, structure of the body and he said Dave I have no doubt you can do this um, the only thing I want to do I'm going to make a suggestion to you um, you're going to think I'm crazy but the only thing that can stop you on this run is going to be an infection in your toenails mm -hmm. so what I would like to do is cut all your toenails out oh. uh, and by the time you get home, they will have grown back and you can carry on. And I said, you are right. You're crazy and you're not doing it. Oh, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So I left. Yep. Across to the of WA and um, I got an infection uh, in under a big toenail. And it got to a point where I could feel myself over a, a period of days I was feeling worse and I became quite ill and my foot had turned a purple colour and it was going up my leg. And it got to a point one day where I knew I was going to be sick and I knew I was going to pass out and I didn't know which order. Oh, um, so I, I alerted the crew and um, we got in contact with our doctor who's, and we sent a photo through and he said, I need to get to hospital immediately. It, it was an infection. Yeah. and um, the nearest hospital was about 150 kilometres away and uh, we got in there and the doctor said, I'm sorry, but it's, it's over. You need at least a week in hospital on a drip to get rid of this infection. And I guess it was at that point, it was real make or break. And mm -hmm. um, I was so fatigued. I'd run 8,000 kilometres at this stage. Um, what do we do? And in my mind, there was no way I was going to stop. Um, I just couldn't do it. And my reasoning was that I just thought of the sacrifices my family had to make, sponsors had made, my crew mm. had made, and there was no way I could go back to the van and tell them we were going home. So um, I self-discharged <laughs> from there. We went back to the starting point and the next morning I spent a week um, hobbling in pain and I got through about 40 kilometres a day for the next week. Yeah. Um, which was really soul destroying because I'd spent so long building up such a big lead. Um, and then I really wanted to finish strong. And as I got to that point, I was only covering 40 kilometers a day. So I was seeing my lead getting eaten yeah. away hour by hour. And I was in so much pain. Um, it was a really tough period. Um, but I had the, the toenail removed, um, got patched up. And over a period of about a week, it slowly improved and I got back to doing my, my 80 to 90 kilometres a day. Wow, that's a story. So basically, you'd recommend to anyone else wanting to do this to have their toenails removed? Yes, <laughs> that would be my advice. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but yeah, do it. No, 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 I think it sounds smart, no. Um, and what was it like dealing with traffic out there on the road? Yeah, it really varied. Um, along the east coast of Australia, um, it was tough because there's so much traffic and varying traffic 
um, a lot narrower roads um, and just that constant traffic flow and having to be aware um, was a real issue. Um, I wasn't allowed on the Pacific Highway. So once I got down to Newcastle, I had to go on the New England Highway. So that was another challenge in itself because it's so mountainous. (laughs) And I was... I was so close to being home. I was within a thousand kilometres of being home, and then I had to do a lot of climbing up through that through that stretch. But we found uh, for myself and my crew, once we turned off at Townsville and started to head inland, um, things really changed. So the traffic really thinned out. But then you were dealing with road trains mm. and caravans and a lot larger vehicles. Um, but I found, yeah, once we turned off at Townsville, the game changed and, and I just loved the, the outback of Australia and, and I really felt at home once we turned off. Um, but, yes, you could feel from, you know, a couple of kilometres away, you can feel the, the, the road actually shaking oh, as wow. the road train came towards you. So I quite often um, just stood off to the side of the road and just let them pass before I continued on um, yeah. because to continue to get off the road and continue on presented its own dangers of rolling an ankle, tripping down an embankment. So mm. the risk reward just wasn't there. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And, and what were people's um, reaction to you when they would see you out there? Did anyone, did people stop? Did people want to find out what was going on? Is there any of that? Yeah, they, they thought I was crazy, essentially. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah a lot of, we gained so much support. Um, and again, once you get into those outback areas, you know, to see a guy running along the road on his own was a, was really strange. So a lot of people stopped to offer help. Um, and out there, it's really the simple things that make such a huge difference. You know, we had a stage where we ran out of water and um, we had to... Uh, people, an older couple in a caravan, you know, drained their caravan of water for us. Oh, wow. Which at the time just meant the world to us to have water, um, yeah. you know, in, in those stretches. And, and everyone wanted to know what I was doing, you know, how long we'd been on the journey. Is there anything they can do to help? It was um, such a great experience, I guess, in, in terms of humanity as well too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And um, did you have any people come out and run sections with you, anything like that? I did, yeah. So um, throughout the trip in various sections, um, people would come out and run with me, um, groups of school children. Um, Yeah, and it was was a really nice experience. And I guess um, getting through the long, lonely stretches um, and then to have people that would come out and run with me. Some ran for, you know, a few hundred metres and some ran a full day with me. Um, And I had some great experiences there of people that came out and said, today I really want to achieve something huge. I've never run more than 10 kilometres. And if I could do that with you, it would be a real honour. So people would come out and, you know, run 11 kilometres and that was their personal best. And for me, that was such a boost um, to see the look on their faces when they achieved something they never thought they would and something that they never thought was possible um, really meant a lot to me. Yeah, I bet. <clears throat> now, 80 kilometres a day for six months, that's, that's a fair amount of shoes. How many shoes did you go through? <laughs> 23 pairs. Oh, that's not as much as I expected, to be honest. 
Yeah, so I had a really high tech system with my shoes. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I had, I left with 20 pairs and uh, we had each pair numbered. So we had a black Nikko pen, each yeah. pair with numbered. And we would rotate around three to four shoe changes a day. Oh, um, okay, a day, yep. Yeah, so what we did is um, we found that it takes 24 hours for, if you're running mm. that sort of distance, it takes 24 hours for the shoe to return to its natural shape yeah. as well. So to try and avoid that happening and then changing my gait uh, or uh, furthering the chance of injury, um, each time I stopped through the day, we would change shoes and then we would ensure that those shoes were aired out um, constantly mm. to to lower the risk of infection in my feet, um, being the perfect breeding ground with sweaty socks and shoes and feet. Um, so I would rotate them, yeah, up to four times a day. And then when they were done, they would go in the van and the next three to four pairs would come out and um, mm. we would rotate that way. And did you have like, did you have a shoe sponsor? So was it one particular type of shoe or you had just ran in whatever you wanted? Yeah, I had the same brand of shoe. Um, they didn't sponsor me, but um, again, the generosity of people, a, a great mate of ours um, that owns a restaurant chain in Brisbane came forward and it was such a great story and that we were raising money for the White Cloud Foundation. So they um, assist people going through depression and anxiety and mm -hmm. um, they approached us at the start and said they'd love to be a, uh, the charity partner for the event. Uh, and they were, and as I said, a great friend of ours um, stepped forward and his father, uh, sorry, his father-in-law uh, had committed suicide a number of yeah. years ago. And it was something that he felt the time had come for his family to talk about and address and they hadn't mm. really dealt with it. Um, so he said to me, Dave, I'll buy all your running shoes. Oh, if wow. you could engrave my father-in-law's name in the side of the shoe, it would mean so much to me and my family um, and I'll sponsor you for the shoes. So that's how that, that came mm. about. And it was a real honour for me to look down each day and see his name on the side of my shoes engraved in there and, and gave me that, you know, further motivation and incentive yeah, to definitely. get the job done. Yeah, yeah that's a great story. Family. Yeah, that would give you lots of motivation for sure. <clears throat> and so on those low moments when, when getting out of bed, takes 10 minutes and you're struggling to get started. And I know you've got the motivation of the foundation and those people, but how did you push your body through the, the pain of, of doing it day after day on such hard surfaces and that sort of thing? Yeah, I guess for me, um, and I often tell my children this now, not at any point ever did I turn around and look where I'd come from. My focus was yeah. always forwards yeah. and I knew, um, I just had that frame of mind that I just knew I had to get the job done, whatever it took. Yeah. Um, and I did. I had, you know, I had some really, really low times out there on my own and, and some really painful days. And, um, you know, I, I'm not too proud to admit that I spent many days the whole day in tears just hobbling along the road just to get through it. And, um, yeah, you really, you have to have that why. And I yeah. think it's not until you're in that sort of situation that you discover who you really are as a person. Yeah. Um, and that's it was such a big thing for me. I guess I can't pinpoint exactly why, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, what gave me that, that made to actually get out of bed when, when 
I really didn't want to. Every part of me <laughs> said, just go home and stop mm. and, and go back home. And why are you doing this? This is, why put yourself through this and your family and your crew? This is just silly, you know? And then the next minute we'd be having a joke and I'd feel great. And um, essentially for me, yeah, the, the, the biggest motivation was the crew, the sponsors mm. and the family and, and that I just, I couldn't let them down. And I bet you um, uh, felt a real sense of pride at the end that you did you did finish it and push through those hard times. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. You know, particularly on the run, to be able to run um, into Oaks Oval at Lismore mm. um, with my wife and, and kids with me, they ran in and, and finished the, the event with me was, you know, there are moments that, you know, you never forget that, you know. Yeah, I'll take that to my grave with me that we did that together and we got through it and... Yeah, just a really special moment. Yeah. So I know you said um, <clears throat> there were many highs and lows every day. What, um, was there just like one particular highlight that you could tell us about? Um, look, I think the real highlight was the support um, mm. that, I, that I gained um, the whole way around the country. The people that, you know, I would never have met otherwise. and. I think that's that's something that that all runners and all endurance athletes will attest to is that it's that that supportive network and the yep. people that are behind us. Yeah, sure, we're all out there competing and we're all trying to do our best, but it's we're all individuals and it's you know it's all about doing your best. Um, and I think that's a big point for me. Is and the highlight I think now when I sit back and look, it's five years since the runners finished. What means the most to me, I think, is the fact that I left it all out there on the road. I, mm. I finished both the cycle and both the run and I gave it absolutely everything I have. Um, I had nothing left in the tank at the end of both events and I'm most proud about that. You yeah. know, people will come along one day and they'll beat both records and I hope I'm the first person there to shake their hand and give them a hug and say, well done, because I'll know what they've been through yeah. to get there. And I think that's the biggest thing I've got out of it is, is yeah, the records are great, um, but that's not what it really means to me. It's that feeling that I don't sit at home now and go, you know, oh, on day 83, I could have given more. Yeah. I sit back now and I go, you know what? I did the absolute best I could. I'm so proud of the fact that I finished it in the way I did. And, you know, however long it took, um, that, that was, I think, my highlight, yeah. That's awesome. That's brilliant. So for such a long run, how, how did you train for that? Like, is it possible to actually train for such a big run? I think yes and no. Mm. Um, I think what was different for the run for me, um, and I think was kind of a disadvantage in some regards, is a lot of people said, well, you've done the cycle, so you know what's ahead of you. Mm. But I think that was kind of a disadvantage because I knew. <laughs> yeah, you knew what was ahead of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew the size of the undertaking and I knew what it was going to take to do it. Um, mm. But it was just a real progression. Um, I was never cocky. Um, um, I was always confident, though, in my ability to get the job done. Um, and I still remember... Um, when I'd got off the bike and the idea of the run was born, my first run was five kilometres and I came home and I was so excited. I rang the manager. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. I've just knocked out five kilometres. <laughs> Feeling great. 
um, you know, and then it went from there. Yeah. And we, we, we celebrated the little wins. And, you know, over a period of time, five kilometres became 10 kilometres. Um, I fractured my right leg three times in preparation. Oh, wow. And that was all strategy. Um, I had in my mind that, okay, if I run my sort of three-hour marathon pace and I can do that twice, twice a day, that's six hours. And then I have an 18-hour window for recovery. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's not how the human body works. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a real challenge for me to slow down that pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was frustrating to have to slow down so much. Um, but it was a real learning curve. And uh, I'd just gone out too hard too early and piled on the kilometres way too early, way too quick a pace. And I I learned the hard way, you know, and it started as a stress reaction, which turned into a stress fracture. And I just trained through that. Oh, yeah, as you do. yeah, As you do, you know, I'm not not the only one that's done this. Not at all. uh, Until the leg fractured, you know, and then I was six to eight weeks off. Yeah. And I had to do that three times. I'm a bit of a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, now, it was a real adaption process over time. Yeah, yeah. And so what sort of like kilometres would you be doing a week in your sort of the lead up to it? Um, it built up over time. So mm. by the end, with about a month to go, um, I did a block of training where I was in sort of that 350 to 400 k's a week. Um, it wow. seems crazy. It seems crazy now, but I would often go to work, come home, and go and knock out a marathon before I went to bed. So that was while you were working. You were doing three hundred and fifty to four hundred kilometers a week. Yeah. Yeah. So and you and with much, kids. <laughs> so you just didn't. Sleep I was about to say you just didn't sleep, did you? <laughs> no, not much. So it was not uncommon to see me out on the road on my own. Um, at three or four in the morning. Yeah, because no one wanted uh, to run with you at that time. No, no. <laughs> and I found I trained quite often because I was shift working as well with mm. the police. Um, I did 95% of my training on my own. Um, well, to be honest, when you're running around Australia, you're probably doing a lot of that on your own. So it's good training then, isn't it? It was, yeah. It was all part of the process. And, and I really enjoyed it, to be honest. And, um, yeah, but by the end, it was a real, real balancing act to... Uh, to be prepared but not over-prepared. Um, yeah. And I think that's a big thing with endurance athletes is that we get to the start line of an event and we never felt like feel like we've done enough. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's that real balancing act of I think you need to be a little underdone rather than mm-hmm. overdone. Um, yeah. You see so many people that take on their first marathon and you can see them at the start line and they're so tired. Um, because they're just trying to push out those extra kilometres, that extra training session, thinking they're doing the right thing, but it's actually having more of a detrimental effect than a, than a positive effect. So it's that real balancing act of, of getting it right. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. I, I totally agree. Um, and so what about after? How was your recovery after? You said that for six months you've struggled to put on socks and shoes. Like how long was it before you ran again? Um, Mm, that's a good question. It was probably about the same time. Yeah, yeah. it took me a long time, um, certainly a lot longer after the run. Um, I felt after the bike, after a week, once I'd um, got some sleep and rest, I felt back to normal. But with yeah. the run, um, 
it was a good six to 12 months before I think I recovered just from the general fatigue. Um, My body was really worn down. Um, It was a real process to, to get back to normal. And um, yeah, I didn't, surprisingly, I didn't feel like going for a run for a while. (laughs) I can't imagine why. (laughs) (laughs) But I really enjoyed that period too of being at home. So I took further time off work um, just to get through that recovery process. But, um, and again, I don't think I probably did enough in terms of, um, of rehab afterwards and um, doing a lot of, if I had my time again, there'd be a lot more recovery sessions in there um, using contrast showers and foam rolling and stretching. Um, I think I I underdid that. Um, Hence the recovery period was a lot longer than it probably could have been. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did you do any exercise like swimming or something like that? Yeah. So I did, um, I did some swimming to, um, to take that weight bearing out of the equation. Um, and also just did some, a lot of walking. Um, Mm. I was doing a little bit of stretching, just trying to get that mobility back in the Mm. body. Um, Mm. because again, that first week I probably played it the wrong way. And the first week when I got home, I did nothing and my body just really seized up. I bet. Um, where it's if I'd have kept moving, I think I would have been a, a lot better off. Um, mm. But it was just really gentle exercise, um, a lot of foam rolling, stretching, a lot of walking um, yeah. and trying to take the weight bearing aspect out of it. Did you lose a lot of weight on the run? Not so much on the run. Um, about uh, over the entire trip, about five kilograms. Oh, okay, um, that's not too bad. Which wasn't too bad, yeah, because obviously um, my nutritional requirements were through the roof. So, yeah. for example, I was eating the same amount as the crew, so and there was five crew. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. So I was eating the equivalent of they were together, um, and I was still slightly dropping weight. But in saying that, I lost... That's awesome, <laughs> Yeah. It's great to be have a, have a license to eat whatever you like. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> but I lost, I think I lost most of that weight, if not all, within the first three to four, four weeks. Uh, okay. And then, and then I found my body adjusted yeah. and said, okay, if this is what we're doing, this is what yeah. we need to do. And I just really leveled out and was able to maintain that weight for the rest of the trip um, because it was a real issue just trying to get in the amount yeah. of calories that I needed to sustain that was, was a huge undertaking in itself. So my general rule for the bike and the run was the same. So I had to have something to eat and drink every hour. Yeah. was how we did it. Yeah. On top of regular meals. Yeah. Because, oh, on top of regular meals. Because I was going to say, if you're running 10 to 12 hours a day, like that, that's tough. So you're having to eat as you're moving. Yes. Yeah. So quite often what I would do is, um, I would get to the van, see the van ahead, and they always had a chair out for me. But quite often, if I felt in that groove, um, I knew if I stopped for longer than a couple of minutes, as you know, if you sit down and then get up and get going again is such a tough exercise, um, mentally and physically. So quite often, I would get there and let the guys know that I'm going to carry on, and I would just take... um, the food and drink with me and I'd walk and eat and drink as I went along just to keep that momentum going. Um, and, what, and what sort of things were you eating? 
it was a real variety. So we tried to keep it, um, I guess, as normal as possible. Um, so I was eating, uh, I tried to keep gels and bars and things to a minimum yeah. um, to try and avoid the flavour fatigue and also just that high sugar all of the time. So I was having big meals, um, my standard meals, but on top of that, um, real variety. So we were having like the guys would make up bread rolls and I'd have a banana and um, just a whole variety to try and avoid that flavour fatigue of having the same thing over and over. And I guess I'm really lucky in that regard in that um, I never really suffered from um, stomach upset, um, oh, which great. a lot of runners do. Mm. So I was really fortunate in that regard. Um, but that's a huge, I'm sure you'll agree that it's such a huge tip for, for runners, especially long distance runners is to, you need to know your nutrition before, mm. before race day, um, do all your trialing, um, even down to the glasses you're going to wear and the hat you're going to wear, yeah. the socks, everything, get that done um, during training so that when you start that event, um, you know what works for you. And, mm. and we're all a little bit different, you know, what works for you may upset my stomach and vice versa. And, and it's about getting that right in training so that when you start that race day, um, you know, that you're, you're a foot ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good advice. And um, I mean, many, many an athlete's race has been undone simply through nutrition. So it's really important exactly. to get that nailed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what advice do you have for people who are facing their own, you know, run around Australia? It might not be that, but it's something big for them. It's a big goal. Do you have any sort of advice for them? Yeah, look, I think just break it down. Um, don't get overwhelmed by mm. the huge target that it's at the end of the day. Um, I think for me, look, if I'd have ever sat down um, before the event and said, I'm going to run around Australia. Hang on, that's 14,000 kilometres. How am I going to do this? I think it would have been all too overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so I really broke it down to not only week by week, day by day. Um, on the day, I'd break it down. And for me, a big thing was landmarks. Mm. So I'd just look ahead and look for the next street sign and say, okay. I'm struggling here, but just get to that street sign and see how you feel. Or I'd be coming into a town and the town would say, you know, five kilometres to the next town. And I'm like, right, I need to get to the next town and see how I feel there. And I really broke it down into that, that um, small little manageable chunks. And I think when you, you make that your focus, um, the overall goal just looks after itself. Yeah, yep. That's excellent advice. Well, thank you so much for the chat today. I really appreciate it. And it was great learning all about your adventure. No, it was great to chat to you, Isabel. Thank you. Thank you. What an amazing achievement. It was interesting that he needed two support vehicles so that they could bunny hop each other. It certainly sounds like it was an epic adventure and he raised so much for charity, which makes it even more worthwhile. Next episode is an interview with Tristan Miller, who famously ran 52 marathons in 52 days. Have a great week of training and spending time with family and friends.